Verbal Motivation Podcast, where we talk about the things that motivate our lives, our religion, and our relationships. My name is Nathan Vale. This is episode number seven, called Sorry for the Punishment. I was watching the TV show Cops the other day, and an interesting exchange happened. After a lengthy foot chase, the officer arrested a man who he had spotted committing a crime. While still breathing heavily, the officer asked, Why did you run? He responded angrily, I'm not going back to jail. Apparently, not committing a crime never crossed his mind as a possible means of staying out of jail. The thought occurred to me while watching this exchange that there's a difference between being sorry for the crime and being sorry for the punishment. The reason this distinction matters is because if a person is sorry just because they're going to be punished, they will likely continue in that behavior as long as they are not caught. Whereas, if they are truly sorry for committing a crime, their behavior would change. Understanding the difference between being sorry for the punishment as opposed to being sorry for the crime is fundamental to understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a new concept. In the Book of Mormon, there's an antichrist named Korihor, who was cursed because he led the people of God astray. Once he saw the punishment for his actions, he asked the prophet Alma to remove the curse. Alma's response was an indictment of our natural tendencies as human beings, saying, quote, If this curse should be taken away from thee, thou wouldst again lead away the hearts of this people, unquote. In other words, When we're faced with punishment, we're suddenly remorseful. But if the punishment is removed, we return to it. Proverbs 26.11 illustrates this human tendency, saying, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. If we live the gospel of Jesus Christ in fear of being punished in the next life, then we obey rules in a half-hearted discipleship and do only what is required. But if we are truly sorry for disobeying commandments, we will have a desire to change and become a better person. Two very different outcomes. I believe the commandments, when used properly, are like training wheels. When we obey them, it is not the obedience to a commandment that is the benefit. It is the effect that it has on us. And just like training wheels... The commandments of the gospel are figuratively taken off when we get to a point where we live the gospel because we want to, not because we have to. The saints in King Benjamin's day said that they had, quote, no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually, unquote. That is a very different attitude than avoiding punishment. I think we get the idea sometimes that if we keep enough of the commandments, we will make it to heaven. That sounds right on the surface, but it is very reminiscent of the way Jewish tradition became so rigid and so much about the rules that the spirit of personal progression was lost in the counting of steps a person can take without violating the Sabbath. In other words, it becomes about not doing things rather than developing as an individual child of God. I was teaching a Word of Wisdom discussion with the missionaries some years ago, And the woman declared to me very passionately, God will not send me to hell for smoking. That comment demonstrates a perfectly backward understanding 
of what commandments are and what final judgment is. President Oaks in the most recent General Conference explained, quote, We conclude that the final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts, what we have done. It is an acknowledgment of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become, unquote. I love working in the yard at my house, especially in the wintertime when it's cold, because I hate working in the heat. But when I first go out to work, I look like that kid in a movie, A Christmas Story, where I can barely put my arms down. But as soon as I start working, I immediately start taking off layers of clothing. Not because the temperature outside has changed, but because I begin to produce my own heat to the point that I am comfortable working in that environment with less protection. That is how the gospel and commandments work. When we are young in the gospel, we are wrapped up in the comfort of our parents or the missionary's testimony. Eventually, as we learn the gospel, we graduate to following the commandments ourselves, and in the end, we develop to the point where we are producing our own desire to live a celestial life, not to be obedient to rigid rules, but because that is the kind of person we want to be. There is only voluntary righteousness, and there is only voluntary sacrifice. No one can do this to us or for us. In the criminal justice system, the Founding Fathers gave us one of the greatest protections against oppressive government, described in a phrase that you have all heard before, innocent until proven guilty. But some in society have turned that great protection into a crutch, where they feel that they are innocent unless proven guilty. In other words, it's only a crime if you get caught, and even then, only if you're convicted. Once again, punishment becomes the only arbiter of whether or not a crime was committed. No punishment means no crime. In society, that system may work. But in an attempt to be celestial people, the punishment is not really relevant because we are striving for so much more than not being sent to hell for smoking. In fact, our loving Heavenly Father is waiting at the far end of this mortal existence, anxious to endow us with greater power. What would a person do who has never learned self-control if they were given even greater power than we have as mortals? Imagine what a person addicted to pornography, gambling habits, or with a drinking problem would do if given unlimited power. This scenario is not unlike what parents here on earth are faced with. If we give the keys to the car to a child before they are ready, or allow them to stay out late when they are too young, they could become a detriment to themselves. Yet, we're anxious waiting to share with them that moment when they drive for the first time or get their first car. Imagine this. When my youngest son was around three years old, he wanted to learn to ride a bike. I loved riding motorcycles when I was younger, so I decided to put him straight onto a powerful motorcycle instead of a bike with training wheels. Of course, that would never happen because he couldn't handle it and he would likely just hurt himself. That is precisely why we are taught precept upon precept. Milk before meat is a long-term successful strategy for teaching and for learning. Just as in science, there came a point where we could not learn any more as spirits without actual experimentation. Thus, 
we all had to come to earth to be proven herewith, to see if we will do all things whatsoever the Lord our God shall command us. But we often think of this life as the end game, and a simple reward or punishment is all that waits for us at the other end. But what if we are here to learn how to wield the tools of greater power? If we look at it that way, it changes the whole discussion about the kingdoms in the next life. My friends of other faith often talk about sitting by the stream and drinking lemonade in the next life. I think they're right. That's exactly what happens in the terrestrial and telestial worlds. Those kingdoms are kingdoms of glory. Peace and plenty will reign there. But it almost feels like a conflict when the scriptures talk about hellfire and damnation, and President Oaks talks about kingdoms of glory for everyone, depending on the laws they choose to abide. But actually, they could be one and the same. Consider this. A few years ago, I went to a beach resort in Mexico. The first week was amazing. No responsibilities, all you can eat, everything was free. And above all, no cell service. It was heavenly from start to finish. If I had stayed a second week, it would have been slightly less amazing. The third week, I think I would have become restless. And if I had to stay there the rest of my life, having nothing more than peace and plenty, it would eventually feel like a prison. The glories prepared for those who choose not to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ are full of beautiful streams and lemonade. But make no mistake, there is no progression there. It makes one wonder, at what point of forever does that life become a prison? I have found that it is pointless to have a conversation with people who want to argue that certain pleasures that society has accepted or has legalized are okay because everyone does it. They're talking about rules and what we can get away with, but we're talking about mastering ourselves so that we can be endowed with greater power in the next life. I was in the hospital last weekend and several different times soft celebratory music played, signifying that a baby was born. I wondered to myself as I laid there if there are also heavenly choirs announcing with celebratory song when someone triumphantly crosses over into the next life. At any given point in our lives, we are an accumulation of the experiences we have had up to that point. We don't have any power to change what brought us to where we stand right now. But we can decide where we will go in the future. We can embrace the idea that rules are but training wheels, and we are here to learn to wield the tools of greater power. And perhaps, choirs of heavenly angels will announce our arrival as we are greeted by a loving and proud Father in heaven who has been waiting anxiously to endow us with greater power. We will recognize him immediately because we will have become like him. My name is Nathan Vale, and this is the Verbal Motivation Podcast. Podcast.